we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. When the mind is learning all the time, it brings about its own sweet discipline. In this, there is no conformity, no pattern, no formula, no suppression or obedience. It is living. Hello and welcome to episode 222 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast features carefully selected clips from the archives. Their aim is to represent different aspects of Krishnamurti's radical approach to many of the issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Patterns and Formulas. Upcoming themes are Evil, Escapes and Reality. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and discussions. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features a large collection of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on your podcast app, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on patterns and formulas has two sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Rajgat in 1964, titled, Is Revolution According to a Pattern? I think most of us realize that there must be a radical revolution which would bring about a different dimensional form of thinking at a different level altogether. Because we can't go on as we are, as we have been repeating a pattern and functioning within a pattern. And a behavior or conduct within a conflict, whether this so-called religious man or the politician, whether of the center or of the extreme left or of the extreme right, when they function within a pattern, it is a continuity of what has been 
And I think most of us are aware that this repetitive revolution is no revolution at all. And one observes in the world, perhaps more so in this country, the deterioration that is going on at all the levels of our existence. And observing this phenomenon, unemotionally and in no way sentimentally, one naturally inquires if there is not a different way, a different approach to the whole issue of human existence and relationship. A revolution that will project the whole process of thinking in a different dimension altogether. First of all, I think most of us here and outside the world are quite clear that there must be some kind of deep radical change in human behavior, in human relationship, and therefore in human thinking. And how, in what way is this revolution to take place and at what level? You see what is happening in this country. Industrially probably is very advancing a great deal. Scientifically little behind, perhaps really behind the rest of the way, but the mor morally, intellectually, and religiously, it is stagnant. And I'm not saying something foreign, something thoroughly outrageous, but this is an obvious daily fact. Also one observes that the mind, the brain itself is mechanical and therefore repetitive. Teaches certain behavioral patterns, teaches certain ways of conduct, attitudes, desires, ambitions, and so on, so on, and it will function in that, in that groove, in that pattern. So, seeing all this, and we are not going into details because it's not significant to go into details because 
Anybody can find the details if you observe, you read a few papers, if you look at about you, the scholar, the dirt, the inefficiency, the complete lack of concern about anybody. The utter lack of affection, love, the perpetual repetition of phrases, ideas, theories that there is, that there is not God, this, doesn't think. The socialist pattern, the religious pattern, the communist and so on, so on, so on. Now, seeing all this, one realizes that there must be a change, a radical change in the quality of the brain itself. The brain, as the anthropologists say, is about two million years old. functioning another for another two million years, repeating the same pattern of sorrow, pain, wife, family, children, husband, quarrels, uh, nationalities, the left, the right, the, the assertion that there is a God, the assertion that there is no God, we must be virtuous, we must be this, let's go on, indefinitely, repeating, repeating, repeating the same pattern, modified, slightly altered, but repeat. So, one can see that the nature of the brain itself must undergo tremendous revolution. Not as an individual who is concerned about his particular little uh, brain, but as a human being. I do not know if, if one can so differentiate between the individual and a human being. At least I want to differentiate. When we are talking about change, we are always talking about the individual change, that is you changing and I change. That is, in our little brain, uh, bringing about a different activity, establishing different patterns as an individual. as an individual in a particular position, in a particular relationship. The individual that has been struggling, struggling, struggling to be, become a little better, a little more, having a little more character, more brave, or a little more kind and so on, better job. The individual functioning in that limited field of his own country. An individual. 
in that little uh, conditioned existence, he does every, if he if he's at all alert, aware, he does something to bring about a new a transformation by action of will, by control, by suppression. He's doing something all the time within that limited field of his own existence. And that is what we call the individual, who is opposed to the collective, the collective being the many, the many, the society, the nation, the race, and so on and so on. Now, is there such an individual at all, or is only an artificial division between the collective and himself? one observes within oneself without any passion, without any emotional impact or reaction, one sees what one is. One is the collective. You are. You are the collective. You are the result of your environment, of your society of your religious dogmas, your religious pressures, the climate, the food, the sun, the whole thing, not you as an individual, but a collective group. Now, it is only, there is only an individuality, there is only a human being, a total human being outside outside this pattern of the collective and the individual. You, you observe it. It's not a matter if you are agreeing or disagreeing with it. But then that is no meaning at all. Because we are not here discussing theories with which, or opinions with which you agree or disagree. We are discussing, we are looking at facts. And about facts you can't dispute. Either you say, I don't see the fact, or you don't want to see the fact, because your own mind is so comfortably settled in a particular groove and keeps on repeating, therefore wishes not to see anything further. Or by examining the fact, you may come upon as something quite different, which is neither the individual nor the collective, but beyond, something far beyond either of these two. And it is only the discovery of that we feel brings about this tremendous mutation in the brain itself. The second and final extract in this episode is from the fourth talk in Bombay, 1964, titled Freedom Without a Pattern or Formula. Across the river, there was a man singing, 
I could hardly hear him, but occasionally a note floated across the waters. It was really a very beautiful evening, full of charm, strange silence that comes when the sun is about to set. And there was a beauty that could not be expressed in words. You felt it. You felt it through the very bones of your being. You saw that river every day and you saw that sun every day and the moon. But that evening there was a charm, full, quiet and extraordinarily mysterious. And the beauty that was there, so palpable, so extraordinarily real, as the tree across the river, as the boatman, as the fish that jumped out of the water. You felt it with a deep passion, with an intensity. Nothing existed. There was neither thought nor that peculiar emotion that comes when you see something very beautiful. Your mind, your body, your being was utterly still. And that beauty continued. You felt it throbbing in a deep silence. It was a beauty that had no emotional quality in it. There was no sentiment. It was naked, strong, vital, passionate. There was no sense of any sentimentality. like meeting something face to face that is real, naked, complete in itself. We didn't want any imagination, any expression, any translation. It was there with a fullness, with a richness, with extraordinary sense of magnitude and depth. One felt and the feeling, not the emotion, was the feeling that is aroused when you see something extraordinarily beautiful has nothing to do with sentimentality, with emotion, with any memory, all that is banished. And you're there watching an extraordinary thing, a part of your whole being, alive, vibrant, 
clear, rich. And there was a man sitting beside us. He was a sannyasi. He didn't notice the water and the moon on the water. He didn't notice the song of that village, from that village. And he didn't notice the crows com coming back. He was so absorbed in his own problem. And he began to talk quietly with a tremendous sense of sorrow. He was a lustful man, he said, brutal in his demands, never satisfied, always demanding, asking, pushing, driving. His lust had no quietness, and he was striving, and he has striven for many years to conquer it. And at last he did a most brutal thing to himself. And from that day he was no longer a man. And as you listened, you felt an extraordinary sorrow, a tremendous shock that a man in search of God could mutilate himself forever. He had lost all feeling all sense of beauty, all that he was concerned with was to reach God. Torture himself, butcher himself, destroy himself in order to find that thing which he called God. He had formed an idea And according to that formula, he was living. The formula was real, not what he was seeking, not what he was seek, trying to find out, but the formula, the form the mind had created, which saints, religion, society, has said that he must do in order to find. And there he was, lost, destroyed, without sensitivity to feel that extraordinary beauty of that evening. And as it got dark, the stars came out full wide, with immense space, and he was totally unaware of it. And most of us 
live that way. Though we have not brutalized ourselves, we have brutalized ourselves in different ways, so completely. We have formed ideas. We live with formulas. All our actions, all our feelings, all our activities are shaped, controlled, subjugated, dominated by the formula which the society, the saints, the religions, the experiences that one has had, these formulas shape our life, our activity, our being. We're always approximating ourselves to these formulas, to these ideas, adjusting, conforming. And when these formulas become very strong, as the, it is the case with most people, the formula, that is, what I should do and what I must not do, what is right, what is wrong, the pattern having been set, we torture ourselves to that formula in order to find God, in order to be happy, in order to achieve a certain state of tranquility. So our minds are always forming ideas, patterns, formulas, and we shape ourselves according to those formulas voluntarily, consciously, or unconsciously, choosing some and rejecting others, rejecting those which are not pleasurable or not according to our tendency, our idiosyncrasies and our characters, or those patterns imposed by others, by society, by religion, by saints, by teachers. And if you observe your own life, you will see that you live and have your being and act according to this formula or a formula. You are never free of a formula. There the sannyasi went to the extreme torture because he believed in a formula, believed in an idea, which is a form of neurosis. And that is an extreme form. But those of us who have not so compulsive demand, we have our formulas 
which, according to which we are torturing our souls night and day, consciously or unconsciously. We are torturing ourselves all the time. As long as the formula, the pattern, the idea exists, there must be conflict between that idea, that formula and what is. And if one doesn't realize that conflict in any form, under any guise, for any purpose, noble, ultimate, any conflict in any form, under any circumstances, is a torture. It is a thing to be completely, totally avoided. Not that one must yield to what one wants. That is, that is rather juvenile and not worthwhile even to go into. We torture ourselves with this, what we should do, with what might be, what has been, and never facing what is. This torture man has considered necessary through centuries upon centuries to find God. In India they do it one way, in Christendom they do it another. And those people who do not believe in God or in something beyond torture themselves with their ambitions, with their brutalities, with their compulsive demands, with their authoritarian rule and all other ways. Now, to understand reality, that thing which man has sought for million years, that thing which is translated by different minds, by different people with different tendencies, in the, under different cultures and civilizations. That thing which is not completely reachable by a mind, which is merely tortured, First, it seems to me, that thing can only be realized when the mind is completely normal, completely healthy, untortured by any discipline, by any enforcement, by any manner of any kind of compulsion imitation. Because the mind must come to it with youth with freshness, untrammeled, unscratched, 
innocent, vital, healthy, completely original. Otherwise, it will never find it. Because the gods, the real gods, not the gods that the man has made up, the real truth does not want a mind that has been destroyed, petty, narrow, shallow, imitative. It wants a healthy mind to appreciate it. It wants a rich mind, not with knowledge, with innocence. A mind upon which there has never been a scratch of experience. A mind that is free from time, otherwise the gods that you have invented out of your own, for your own comfort, those gods accept a tortured, a silly, a mind that has been made dull. But the real thing does not want you, wants a total, complete human being whose heart is full, rich, clear, capable of intense feeling, seeing the beauty of a tree, the smile of a child, and the agony of a woman who has never had a full meal. Unless you know this extraordinary feeling, this sensitivity to everything, to the animal, to the cat that walks across the wall, and the squalor, the dirt, the filth of human being in poverty, despair. If you are not sensitive, which is to feel intensely, not in any particular direction, not an emotion which comes and goes, but to feel sensitive with your nerves, with your eyes, with your body, with your ears, with the voice, with the, the things sensitive completely, all the time. Unless you are so completely sensitive, there is no intelligence. Intelligence comes with sensitivity and observation. Sensitivity does not come with infinite knowledge and information. You may know all the books in the world, read them, devoured them, be familiar with every author, 
know all the things that have been said. But that does not bring intelligence. What brings intelligence is this sensitivity, a total sensitivity of your mind, conscious as well as unconscious, of your heart with its extraordinary capacities of affection, sympathy, generosity. And with that, come a, with that comes this intense feeling, feeling for the leaf that falls from a tree, with all its dying colours, and the squalor of a filthy street. To be sensitive to both, you, can't, you cannot be sensitive to the one and not be sensitive to the other. You are, you are sensitive not to the one or to the other. And when there is that sensitivity, with observation there is intelligence, to observe, to see things as they are, without formula, without opinion, to see the cloud as the cloud, to see your own deep thoughts, secret demands as they actually are, without interpretation, without wanting them or not wanting them, just to observe, just to listen to the secret wishes, and to observe, as you sit in a bus, the passenger, the other passenger, the way he behaves, the way he talks, just to observe, Then out of that observation there comes clarity. Such observation expels every form of confusion. So with sensitivity and observation comes this extraordinary quality of intelligence. Now, if I may point out, please listen to what is being said. Don't take notes, just listen, as you would listen to a distant song, relaxed, easy without any compulsive urge to find. Because if you so listen, we'll go very far together. Because then you are in a state of neither accepting nor denying. Then you are not using 
the petty little mind that says, prove it to me, that wants to argue, dissect, analyze, which doesn't mean that you swallow what is being said or become sentimental and accept. To listen demands tremendous energy. It is not a sentimental state, nor an emotional quality. To listen you need a very clear, precise reason, mind, a mind that is capable of reasoning completely to the very end. That's a very healthy mind. And with that mind, just listen, not to what is being said, but listen to yourselves, listen to the whispers of your own mind, the prompting of your own heart, just listen to yourself. Because I'm going to go, we are going to go into something that demands the fine art of listening to find out what is true. Because when you discover for yourself what is true, then that truth acts. You don't have to act at all. Even in your office, in your home, when you're walking by yourself in a solitude among woods and streams, that truth which has been discovered by you, not repeated by you, because you have heard somebody else say it, find when you discover it for yourself, That is, when you discover what is true and what is false, when you discover for yourself the truth in the false and the truth as truth, then that extraordinary thing has a, a quality of explosion. And that explosive quality heals and brings about action out of that pure health and clarity. So that is what we are going to do this evening. That is, by listening to the words of the speaker, you are going to discover for yourself the truth. And then let the truth operate, where it will, when it will, and when it operates, let it operate without your interference. As we were saying, observation with this highest sensitivity brings about intelligence. 
Because without intelligence, life is drab, shallow, repetitive, and has no depth and quality. And it is this intelligence that is going to bring about discipline. Discipline, the origin of that word, to discipline him means to learn, not to conform, not to follow a pattern set by yesterday or by thousand yesterdays or by the formula of tomorrow or ten thousand tomorrow. Discipline is to learn, to discipline is to learn, not to conform, not to obey, not to accept, not to torture yourself by a pattern, by an idea, by a formula. That's what the society, the religion, the technological job, everything has made us discipline ourselves, which is to conform, to imitate, to suppress, or to sublimate. That has not brought us clarity, freedom from confusion, freedom from sorrow. It has not freed the mind so that it can be quiet, feel intensely, without any motive, without any future, without any past, just to feel tremendously. So we know the tortures of discipline from the most insignificant thing as smoking and to give up smoking. What extraordinary conflicts you go through about a little thing just to give up smoking. Though the doctors, the governments have said it's bad for you, may bring cancer, the fear, the punishment, and yet you go on. And yet you, in that very act of going on, there is conflict, because you know you should not for your health, for various reasons, and yet you go on, because you become a habit. And to break that habit, you form another formula, another habit. So you have another formula, another idea, and that's where we live, always in a state of conflict, always breaking down one habit and falling into another habit of thought, of feeling, of sensation, of pleasure.
the sexual habit, the drinking habit, the habit of seeking God because you are miserable, which is an escape from reality, they are all the same. And according, depending of, upon our tendencies, our erudition, our knowledge, our education, we either intensified that struggle, that conflict, through so-called discipline, or depending upon our tremendous urge or our laziness, we play with discipline. So our minds are always shaped by society, by church, by circumstances. Please follow all this. I am talking about your mind. Don't be caught in the words which I am using. The words are no value at all. Word is a symbol. Word is a means of communication. It's like the telephone. And if you use the telephone, you don't worship the word. What the telephone conveys to you is important. So, we have lived with discipline, with the mores, with the custom, which we call morality. the what should be and what should not be. This is the pattern of our existence, a tortured, ugly, ever-endless strife and misery. Now, can one live without discipline? Because that, that way of disciplining, that way which one has lived for centuries, is a terrible thing. It's the most ugly form of existence. It only breeds a mechanical mind. You know what happens to a soldier who is trained day after day for months, for years, to obey orders. You know what happens to him? Do you know any soldier friend? Have you ever watched him? Functions mechanically, obeying. All spontaneity, all freedom has gone. As you who go to the office day after day, day after day, for forty years, with that terrible boredom. What's happened to your mind too? Watch it. You have trained yourself, you have conformed because you have a family, you have to earn a livelihood, you have to support, we know all the innumerable reasons. So you have to find out how to live in this world 
which which demands a livelihood, which asks that you do things day after day regularly, efficiently, constantly, that you have your own lustful desires, sex, and not to make it into a habit, and all the other urges that create habits. How to live in this world? Please listen to this. How to live in this world, surrounded by all this, with complete freedom, without a formula, without twisting the mind, shaping it to conform or be shaped by society. Because a disciplined mind, in the sense, a mind that conforms, a mind that accepts, the mind that follows, imitates, suppresses, such a mind is a stupid, dull, crippled mind forever. It's a dead mind. Whether it be the mind of the holiest of the sannyasis, or the poor, wretched woman, or the man who steals. One has to live in this world without that kind of discipline, because that you understand it, you see the truth of it. You follow? You see what a discipline implies, conforming, imitates, suppressing, controlling it to live within a certain framework, within a formula, within a pattern whether it is established by society, by religion, by, or by your intellectual capacity or experience. Every form of discipline according to that kind is deadly, destructive, it makes the mind useless. You may function as a machine, but you cannot possibly, under any circumstances, find out what is true. Because truth demands freedom. That is, it demands intelligence. That is, this highest sensitivity and this, with this awareness, which is to observe. Now, can you live in this world? Please follow it. Please ask yourself, can you live in this world, which is becoming more and more mechanistic, 
every boy and girl is trained technologically shaped. Where to live is to conform, otherwise you are destroyed by society. You are pushed out if you are not a Catholic, if you are not Muslim, if you are not a Hindu, Buddhist. Can you live in this world without this destructive traditional weight of a discipline that corrupts, that destroys, that makes the mind ugly? But yet, you, if you see the truth of that, not because I tell you, not because the speaker points out, because you actually see the beauty of that. Then you have to ask yourself if you can live in this world without discipline. Not that kind. Can you live without discipline, doing what you like, free, or can you? You can't either. If you do, you'll be in a constant state of endless conflict. So you have to find out for yourself if you can live with intelligence. I have, we have explained what we mean by intelligence. It is not a definition of intelligence. It's not that you're going to repeat. Or dialectically say that's one opinion. There are other opinions. Therefore, discussing opinions and to find truth in opinions is dialectical way of approach. We are not talking dialectically. We are saying a fact. Whether you accept it, whether you don't accept it, is totally irrelevant. Whether you say, that's your opinion. There are other opinions. We are not discussing opinions. There is no truth in opinions. There are thousand opinions because there are thousand men. Each has his own opinion. So we are not dialect, dialectically, which is trying to find out the truth of opinions by analysis. That leads nowhere. What we are pointing out is something entirely different. We are saying that a mind that is extraordinarily alive and sensitive and awake through observation, observation of facts. A tree is a tree, not what you think about that tree. Observ observation of what you are actually, what is actually, not what you should be, what you think other people have told you you should be. Actually what you are. Observing the squalor, the riches, the beauty of the sunset, 
the calm sea and the extraordinary quality of a still night. And out of that comes this living quality of intelligence. Now, we need certain kind of discipline which is to learn. We have to, we are, we are learning. There is no end to learning. Therefore, there is no end to the form of discipline that comes through intelligence. The other discipline, the traditional discipline, which is conforming, adjusting, forcing, suppressing, does not create intelligence, does not bring about this clarity, the beauty and the vitality of intelligence. But where there is intelligence fully operating, active, then out of that intelligence comes the discipline which is constantly learning. You know, to learn about a motor, about your job, how to cook, how to wash dishes, anything. To do it properly, efficiently. You have to be learning, learning, learning all the time. Now, if you are learning all the time, not saying, I have learned and what I have learned is good enough and therefore whatever happens is going to be more learnt and added to, then you cease to learn. But if you are learning all the time, then that's that mind that is learning all the time brings about its own extraordinary sweet discipline, in that there is no conformity, in that there is no pattern, in that there is no formula, su suppression, obedience. It is living, and every living thing creates its own easy, swift, free efficiency of learning. From that comes the beauty of a mind that is so clear and therefore it needs no discipline. If you see this, If you see this, see in the sense, not merely hear what has been said, but if you see with the inner eye, with the in, hear with the with a with the mind of with the ear of the mind, then you will see for yourself the old traditional rotten thing called discipline, I am using the word expressly, rotten, because look at your own mind, how shallow, dull, 
insensitive it has become. If you understand this thing called discipline, which has made man into an ugly thing, then if you see the truth of that, it will drop away from you. You don't have to do anything. You see it only, the truth of that, the falseness of that, only when you are highly sensitive. And with that sensitivity and clarity, observe this whole formulation of discipline. Then you are out of it. But you know, you cannot live doing what you want, because your desires vary from day to day. One desire being fulfilling itself, demands, is satisfied with it, becomes dissatisfied and seeks another. They have a constant change of the objects of desire. Desire remains the same, but the objects change. From the childhood to the man it changes, changes, changes. The objects, not, not desire. And we think if we replace all the objects by God, we have understood the whole phenomena. Only we have moved away from the petty to the large, but it's still petty, because it is still the object of desire. So if you understand this whole process, that is then, you will see that you can live in this world with all its challenges, with all its brutalities, with the extraordinary insults that society offers to an intelligent man. Then you will see that you can live functioning as a human being, with intelligence, efficient, clear, unconfused. And you can only live that way if you understand how the mind forms, shapes an idea, and that becomes the formula and according to which you are going to live. We create formulas because it gives us self-identified continuity. We create formulas because it gives us a sense of worthwhileness. We, we breed formulas. because it gives us a sense of action, a sense of doing something. It's like a man who wants to help people. He has a formula that he must help, and that he 
knows what it is to help. It gives self-importance. And in that help, he's exploiting others for his own comfort, for his own well-being, for his own satisfaction. The flower by the wayside, rich in colour and beauty, does not talk about helping others. It is there, full of perfumed loveliness and an extraordinary tenderness. It is for you to go to it, smell it and enjoy it. It doesn't talk about help. But we who want to be active like with our petty little minds, identifying ourselves with ten different activities. We want formulas and we live by formulas and we die by formulas. We have formulas about love, we have formulas about death, and we have formulas about God. So words have become very important, not life, not living, ideals, all the phony inventions of man in order to cover himself and to escape from himself. So a mind that one that is capable of living in this world has to understand this formation, this framing of ideas and living according to them. And when once you see the truth of it, then you can ask a really a fundamental question. Is it possible to live without any formula at all? A formula of the past, or a formula of the future. That demands to find and to be in that state, demands astonishing clarity, in which there is no conflict, no torture of any kind at any moment, because a mind that is a light to itself a mind that's completely awake, it, has, it is not tortured, it has no formula, it has no time. 